Hi. It's good to see you. I'm Dr. E from the Sanctuary Church. Great worship this morning, huh? That was, I don't know, I needed it, so that was great. Hey, uh, I'm so excited to be here with you. I've got some friends that came as well from the Sanctuary Tribe, so try to be nice to them. And uh, we, have a, we have a program called Next Level Leadership at the Sanctuary Church. We've done it for a number of years, and it's kind of cool. This morning, two cohorts or generations of that are, are sitting with us. And so uh, Chris just graduated from Next Level Leadership this last term, and, and Nathan and Carrie were part of that. Carrie's actually on our preaching team, and Nathan works a lot in recovery, and so uh, they were part of Next Level a few years ago. Um, it's just kind of cool, right, to see them, and my friends in the McJoints are here too, so they knew I needed a lot of support, because usually after I preach, people run me out of the building, and they try to protect me. So, no, I'm just kidding. You guys are actually super friendly, thank you. I've gotten lots of handshakes and hugs since I've been here, and, and that's been nice. It's not like we don't do that at the Sanctuary Church. It's just usually we're patting you down for guns and knives and narcotics. So, but touch is touch, right? We all need it. So, <laughs> Sanctuary Church is on the west side uh, in old Colorado City, the dark side of Colorado Springs. And then I live in Manitou Springs, the dark side of the dark side. But we, we absolutely love it there, a lot of, a lot of strange people. Uh, I want to just start off by saying thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you first for sharing uh, your pastor Jonathan with us a few weeks ago. It was, uh, you guys know you have a stellar leader here in him. I really, really love that guy. And it was so good for him to open up this series at the Sanctuary Church uh, one thing, you know, we're a small little tribe over there, and we get our hands dirty a lot, um, but Jonathan to come in and just let our church know that we're seen was so good for my tribe's self-esteem. I don't know how else to say it. He just spoke love and life into us, and, and I really, really do appreciate that. Uh, my wife is going to be here today, except that MJ, who preached here last week, Dr. MJ, she's at my church today, and my wife's like, I'd rather hear MJ. So anyway, <laughs> but I paid them to come, so no, I didn't. Secondly, I want to thank you for this. I want to thank you for your generosity. Uh, number, we just finished a shower project that we, well, every Sunday morning we have a thing called Ragamuffin Cafe. So we're, right now, church for us starts at 9 a.m. when we feed about 250 homeless and housing insecure people and families. Uh, we've been doing that for a number of years. We just added a huge shower project, and now we have four showers. We're running about 30 showers over the course of three hours, plus we have professional barbers and stylists come in and do haircuts and things like that, uh, plus we're doing dishes, plus where our ragamuffin cafe is, we have one toilet in our gymnasium. Now, can you imagine if you're homeless, well, how many of you had to take a pee when you got up this morning? All right, so could you imagine 250 people getting in our gym? Uh, that one toilet is just being flushed every two minutes, you know. And so we had that. We have showers. We have dishes. It was overwhelming our 1960s sewage system, the pipes that go into the city. We, uh, we just don't have the resources to spend $70,000 was the estimate to have that thing fixed. I just put out a call like, hey, man, we need some help to do this. Pulpit Rock 
was the very first church to respond almost immediately to help us fix a sewer system. Like, that's not that sexy. It wasn't like we were trying to raise money for some orphanage in Africa. We're like, hey, our pipes are clogged with other people's stuff. And you guys, you love us, and you cared about us, and I just, I cannot thank you on behalf of my, my church to yours for your, your generosity to help in that regard. I mean, it just means so much. So uh, money's a funny thing in churches, isn't it? So I, actually, I was in our lobby not, not long ago, and uh, after service, doing the pastor thing, you know, saying hi to people and whatever, and this, this five- or six-year-old little girl comes, comes up to me, and she's holding a little... Uh, sandwich bag, right? It's got a bunch of coins in it and a dollar bill or something. And, and she comes up and she's just kind of excited because she's meeting the man, right? And I understand, like people, you know, they look at me and, and I represent a whole lot more than just myself. I represent Jesus for people that are new. I represent, you know, our faith and our church. But she came up and, and she was, uh, she's holding this bag of coins and and I knelt down, you know, next to her, and she goes, this is for our poor people. And her mom walked up, and I, I recognized her mom. Her uh, mom's a stripper in our church, and no, that did not sound right. <laughs> That's how we take offerings. Anyway, her mom... Her mom is a stripper. Just had started coming to our church two weeks prior and had encountered the love of Christ. Anyway, she walked up and said, hey, my little girl just did a little lemonade stand this weekend, and she just wanted to give all the money uh, to our church and to our poor people. And now what I heard that mom say immediately was our church. Like within just a couple weeks, this was her family. She felt accepted and loved and she was going to be okay, right? So I took that money, and I said, thank you all for sure. Give it to the poor people, probably our worship leader. And then, um, <laughs> just kidding. But then she kind of, you know, bounced off all happy. And, and I'm standing there holding this sandwich bag, and this gal walks up to me, and she's probably in her mid-40s, and, and she's got a brown paper bag and, like, a, you know, a little lunch sack thing. And, and she goes, hey, uh, Dr. E, this is for you. I want to give it to you. Uh, it's I, maybe like an offering. I just, I don't want it anymore. And I'm like, okay, well, sure. And she had that same kind of weird, giddy, kind of excited, nervous thing to meet me. And, and so she introduced herself. And, and I looked in the bag, and it was like, had all these needles and drug paraphernalia in it. And I'm like, oh, and sell that for the poor. Anyway, um, and so I'm holding this bag, and, and, she, and she says, like, I've been an addict since I was 13. I'm 42. And now I'm free. And she kind of walked off with that same kind of giddy attitude this little girl had. And I'm, I'm left holding two bags. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just tapped me on the shoulder and said, So, son, which offering do you think blesses me the most this morning? And I know when I'm getting set up, and I'm, and I'm like, both? He said, absolutely. He said, when people experience my love, they just have to give back even if it's the little that they have. That's the significance of you and in your giving. It's the same way, right? That when you sow into somebody else's field, you reap in your own. When God's sowing into your field, you want to give it back to him in any way you can. Amen? That's what love does. So 
the Sanctuary Church has you know, been around about eight years. We have a lot of things going on. If you, there's some brochures out there in the, in the lobby if you want to kind of see. If you know some people on the west side that could use some help, pick that up. And, but be praying for us and get a chance to meet Nathan and Carrie out there. And they'll chat with you too. Let's look at Luke chapter 417. Because I get asked all the time, why do you guys do this? Like, ministry to the margins is a black hole of resources. When you work with addicts and homeless people and broken the margins and under-resourced and homeless, people experiencing homelessness and all that, like, it just, it never ends, right? And people ask a lot, why do you, why do, you do that? Why are you guys spending so much money there and time there and energy there? And I said, it's because of Luke chapter 4. And so let's take a look at this for a second. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd open up your word to us. I thank you that your presence is here. Lord, you, uh, you wrote this. You inspired these words. So I'm asking that we don't just gain knowledge today, that we get revelation today. And revelation leads itself towards transformation in our lives and the things that you're doing, not just corporately in the Big C Church, not just in Pulpit Rock Church, but even personally in what you're doing in us and through us. Amen. If you're familiar with Luke 4, it's, this is the opening of Jesus' ministry, basically. This is when he says, this is why I'm here. This is my mission. This is what it's about. But he is setting a precedent, not only for who he is and what his calling is, he is setting the standard for what the church is to be, what his people are to be. And so he opens up with that. Of all the passages he could read, he reads Isaiah 61. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the... Now, hang on a second, because this is so significant. Jesus was a rabbi. Some of you are like, what? I thought he was a Christian. No, he was a rabbi. <laughs> he was a rabbi. He knew the scroll he was reading. He had it memorized by them, by then. But he opened it up. And the crazy thing was, as he's reading this passage of Isaiah, he stops mid-sentence which you don't do if you're a rabbi teaching or reading in a synagogue. That's actually really inappropriate to do. It'd be kind of like you uh, singing a song and then just stopping mid-stanza and then doing something else. And Jesus stops mid-sentence. Right after he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the very next statement in Isaiah is, and the day of vengeance of our Lord. Or, in some versions, and the wrath of our God. Jesus purposely stopped and said, and proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. That was it. Why? Because he was entering into a culture like we have today that almost everybody thinks that God is mad at them for some reason. That I, I just, I meet people all the time. They think God is angry at them, either because of all the stuff that they have done, or all the things that have been done to them. But somehow they're just disqualified. Now they know theologically God has to, to love them because the Bible says he has to. But does he really like them? Does he really care about them? 
And Jesus was making a point that from this moment on, this is what the kingdom of God looks like in me, through me, and beyond me. As a matter of fact, you can, you can kind of see that. This was his mission because he finished by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So for some reason, he excluded the judgment piece and left it with the love and favor piece. Now, Jesus' mission and ours, thus, is this. It's to the margins. Did you notice that? It's to the poor, to the sick, to the oppressed, to the prisoner. This isn't some like add-on to Christianity. This is the base model of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, my buddy, my buddy Kelly, who happened to be here this morning, I didn't know he's coming, but he's got this sick Tesla. And I remember like when he first got it, I got in it and, and he's like, started it up, but then he's like, check this out. And he just goes, fireplace. And like this, this big else. LCD screen lights up, not a real fire, right? But like the, this fire lights up on the screen and the whole interior of the car kind of turns this sexy red, you know, and then like Marvin Gaye starts playing and, and I'm like, dude, this is sick, right? Like I could just see myself. If I had one of these, man, and all these added features, I'd be cruising down the road with my wife and, and you know, if things were a little tense between us, I'd just go fireplace. And she's like, where are we going? We're going home, baby. She's like, no, we're not. We're still going to Walmart. And like, anyway. But see, this is not, you know, sometimes we think like this, this care for the margins, this care for the poor, that it's, it's an add-on to Christianity. It's all the extra features that super saints get. No, this is, this is like buying a VW Beetle. It is just the basic part of what Christianity is about. It is about loving the margins. That's what Jesus started it as. That's the precedent he set. And that's what he wants us to be doing. But what drives this engine? What drives this, this organism, the body of Christ and, and the church is love. See, Jesus never did ministry to the poor. He never did ministry to the margins. He was a friend of the margins. He was a friend of the poor. He knew them by name because he loved people. As a matter of fact, when Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, encountered the love of Christ, his whole perspective changed. And, and this is why I love to match up um, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, with Ephesians 3.16, which we're going to camp here just for a moment. Ephesians 3.16 through 19, Paul is praying that we would get it like he experienced it. And this is so important. Biblical knowledge without biblical experience is useless. We're not just called to get smarter. We are called that the word of God changes us, that we experience the reality of what it's speaking to us. And this is what Paul prayed. He said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. He is talking about the big C church. He's talking about the small C sanctuary church or pulpit rocket church. He's talking about the temple inside of you, that you would be filled with the love 
of Christ. And together with all God's holy people, you'll be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Man, there's just a lot of overflowing words in there, isn't there? Paul is so moved by, by the lavishness of Christ's love and, and its impact on the world. And, but it really begs this question, if Paul's praying that, we want to experience it, then how wide is God's love? See, the problem in Jesus' day was that the Pharisees were teaching that God's love is not wide, it's narrow. It is narrow. It is actually restricted to people just like them. If you couldn't obey the same rules and dress the same way and behave in the same fashions that the Pharisees were, and then what happened over time is they added more and more rules onto that, so God's love became narrower and narrower. That's why in those days, if you were poor, if you were marginalized, if you were sick in any way, it was just evidence that God doesn't love you. And Jesus came onto the scene to combat that. He was trying to say God's love is not narrow, it is wide. Every Sunday morning and pretty much everywhere we go uh, with recovery teams and other teams, we have a promise card, an invite card that we read. And we've been reading it for years. And the weird part is now this is who attends our church. So I probably need to fix it. But anyway, it says this, if you are a saint or a sinner, if you're abused or an abuser, if you're heartbroken, homeless, homebound, a whore, lost, fearful, ADHD, a liar, a hypocrite, a bastard, a lover, a cutter, a tweaker, if you're alone, alcoholic, adopted, abandoned, addicted, leftover, divorced, disillusioned, LGBT, old, young, if you're a cheater, wealthy, wise, poor, despised, infected, rejected, pierced and tatted, or you just feel like a misfit, you are welcome here because God loves you as you are and not as you should be because none of us is as we should be. Now, this crazy thing happens when I read this or people pick it up is the first thing that most people see is who they are. I got folks in my church that'll walk up and say, man, I, I have 13 of those. I'm like, well, at least you're out of prison now, Right? Or some people are like, I, I, I identify with eight of those, and I, that's why you're on my staff. But anyway, the second thing that really jumps out at people, if the first one is who they are, the second one is the word or phrase that offends them the most. I'm here to tell you, God's love is wide. And you got to be careful, because odds are, the word that you identified with is somebody else's second word on their list. Jesus levels the playing field for all of us. The message of God's love is that it's wide. And some people come into the kingdom and, and part of their challenge is that, you know, they think God got lucky because they found him. And so like the gap between where they are in their life and where Jesus is is about this big. And that's about the amount of love that they experience. Other people, you know, we meet Christ and maybe we've been through some hard times, divorce or some financial crisis or some sicknesses or whatever, and, and we've experienced God's love in the midst of that and His love's about this wide. Then I have people who have been, you know, through their addictions and choices they've made have destroyed their family and destroyed their bodies or their minds or 
don't have a job anymore or living on the streets and, and then they encounter the love of Jesus and it is this wide. And then Jesus says, my love is wider still. That I loved the world so much that I gave my life. God's love is not narrow. It is so wide that you have never met a person God does not love. Really, never have you ever met a person he does not love. And if he loves them, shouldn't you and I love them? So God's love is not just wide, but what else is it? You know, Paul's trying to tell us that his love is wide, but it's also deep. How deep is the love of God? You know, Corey Tin Boone talks about God's love is, there's no hole so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Corey Tin Boone, the Holocaust survivor. To be able to write that means she has encountered the depth of God's love. We have a, we have a cross at the front of our, in the sanctuary at our church, and, and, um, and I love this, this cross here is amazing. I hope you never take that thing for granted. But see, the cross is not a decoration in a church. It is a declaration. It is a declaration of God's hope, His healing, His freedom. It's a declaration that every curse that has ever been spoken over your life can be broken. Every addiction that holds you in bondage can be broken. Every, everything that you have done, as a, matter, you know, as a matter of fact, I think it was Calvin, uh, the theologian, once talked about the cross being the great exchange. That everything you bring to the cross, God will never leave you empty-handed. He will always replace it with something better, ultimately sin for salvation. But we have this cross up there, and, and people are coming uh, right now to the sanctuary. They'll come in on a Sunday and ask me if they see me or one of our leaders, and, and they're not even there for church. They're just like, where's that cross I heard about? And they'll come in there just to touch it. They'll come in there just to get up there because people have been telling them that something's happening at the cross. Now, we have a thing we call a little treasure chest. It's like an old luggage trunk. And, and you maybe remember this when you're in church camp as a kid. They put a cross up sometimes on Friday night, you know, and then you could write on a piece of paper, like, here's my sin that I want to leave at the cross, or here's my burden. And we did that. We did that initially here. And we told people just leave it in the luggage trunk. But pretty soon what we started finding was less and less bits of paper and more and more items and symbols. We were finding needles and bags of heroin and wine bottles. And, and we were, as a matter of fact, uh, not long ago, our security guy came up to me and he's like, okay, what do you want to do with this? And this guy had left this at the, at the cross. This is two and a half pounds of marijuana, five bags of heroin, a bunch of needles and some drug paraphernalia. And uh, because somebody had come in and got set free they encountered the depth of God's love for them, went out to their car, pulled it out of the trunk, and left it there, leaving their addiction there. Is that amazing? And we can take it off screen just because I don't want to trigger anybody. But um, <laughs> it's like I called CSPD with that one. I'm like, uh, hey, we got a couple pounds of marijuana and a bunch of heroin here. Um, can you guys come pick it up? And they're like, no, just throw it in your dumpster. I'm like, I'm not going to throw it in my dumpster. Like, we're not a dispensary here. We're actually trying to get it off the streets, right? And he's like, well, you could burn it. That's what we do. 
And then I'm thinking, well, we have this amazing intercession team. Maybe we'll do the prayer meeting. <laughs> anyway, I finally talked him into coming, picking it up. But at that cross, I've found wedding rings, people's ashes. I found a little knit cap from somebody who had had a miscarriage and had planned on giving that to their baby. We all carry burdens, don't we? To the cross. The cross is not a decoration. It's a declaration. And people are starting to live that out. God's love is so deep. God's love is so wide. I wonder how long God's love is. You know, the Old Testament tells us that God himself is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In Hebrew, that implies that there is no beginning, no end, right? We, in Western thought, think a lot in terms of linearly. So we, when I see, when I hear the phrase beginning and end or Alpha Omega, I think the start of the alphabet, the end of the alphabet. And a lot of times we see that even in Psalms when God leads us on paths of righteousness, this idea that I'm trying to get from point A to point B, and sometimes I take three steps forward, one step back. But in the Hebrew, and my mentor, Dr. Sakina, um, taught me this, that, that in the Hebrew, that actually is implying not a straight line, but a circle, almost like a spiral. How many of you have been around the same problem four or five times in your life? And you think to yourself, when am I going to figure this out, right? Well, every time you circle around something again in your life, you're a different person. You are experiencing it from a different perspective, even though it may feel familiar to you. God is moving you, and He is patient with you. As a matter of fact, if God is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, then is God love? Oh, two of you. Wow. I'm gonna, we're going to have to talk to Jonathan about doctrine around here. Um, is God love? And God has no end. So what about His love? God's love is so long. I mean, this is, we see it all through the Bible. 400 years. 400 years the Israelites were in slavery. And God got them out of Egypt. And then He spent the next 40 years getting Egypt out of them. His love sustained all. God's love, people, is so long. I mean, it is long. 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 I'm going to run our breath here. God's love is so long. Even when you don't see Him, His love is still there. I'm going. God's love is so long, it'll outlast any problem you are having. As a matter of fact, I feel the Lord just dropped something in my heart. I think there's somebody here right now that think you have exasperated God's patience in your life. You feel like He is so frustrated with you because you keep doing the same thing over and over again. Love is patient. Love is kind. God wants you to know right now 
that he isn't even close to giving up on you. So do not give up on yourself. Okay, that was free. That was, I think, something from the Lord. It's wide. It's deep. It is long. And it is high. Not like Manitou high. It's like high. Isaiah 55, 8 says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways like your ways. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than yours. If God is love and his thoughts are about you, then what kind of thoughts does he have about you? He has thoughts of love. If you don't believe me, there's a prophetic passage in Zephaniah 317 that says it this way, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. If that doesn't hearken back to what Jesus said in Luke 4.17, that he is proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. It is not about his wrath in your life. It is not about his vengeance in your life. It is about his love in your life. As a matter of fact, he will rejoice over you with singing. Worship was amazing this morning, but do you realize before you got here in worship, when you woke up this morning, God was singing over you. Now, some of you would probably assume that's a funeral dirge. Or maybe the Star Wars March of the Emperor, you know, don, 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 don. No, it's a love song. He loves you. What does it sound like? I imagine, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, like if you've stood near there and just the, the mist and the roar and like the ground almost shakes. There's so much power coming with that water. Maybe if you took that and combined it with 10,000 angels harmonizing and, and then you squeezed it into what I heard not long ago with uh, one of our worship leaders. Uh, she just had a baby and she was sitting with... Um, her little one in the morning and singing just this lullaby, but also kind of humming, you know, soothing. Like, what if you could take all that power and God looked at you this morning and just sing a lullaby because he cares about you and he wants your soul and your mind at peace. God's love is wide. It is deep. It is long, and it is high. May you experience the love that God has for you in your life. And may you understand that in the kingdom of God, fullness is measured by overflow. May you continue to give away the love that God has given you. Let's stand. Have the worship team come up. May you be generous with the love of Christ. May you continue to be generous financially here as a church, as you are. You're impacting this city and this world. May you continue to be generous with your wisdom. The things that you have learned in life, God hasn't just given you those experiences and those lessons for you to hold it 
but He intends for you to give that away. May you be generous with your hands. Just like your woodshop here shows, but there are so many ways for your hands to serve the margins. May you continue to be generous with the love of Christ. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for letting me be here today. God bless you.